0: Welcome to this podcast from Central Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. We, um, we begin this evening a, a new series, and uh, it's called Stand. Um, it happens that that Carl, who would normally be up here speaking to you guys, has written a book called Stand. Um, If you didn't know that, then Carl's got a book out. You can buy it afterwards, I'm sure. Um, But but actually, it's not just Carl's book. It's not just Carl's words, Carl's story. It's really our story as a church. Um, What does it mean to stand as a disciple of Jesus? And so to wrap up and to lead us towards Christmas, we're looking at at that, And, and in a nutshell, the premise is this. Inside you is the real you. And the real you is absolutely fearless and so full of joy and totally loving and absolutely free. So the question is, how do we unlock the real you? How do we get there? Another way of putting it, what does it really mean to live the life that God is calling you to? And so we're going to look at what it means to live with identity that's shaped by God, with purpose in this world, in the face of opposition and with courage. And this week we begin by looking a little bit at identity. I was speaking to um, a friend of mine this week. My friend's just started high school. He's 12 years old. And... uh, and he, he was telling me about his first, you know, however long he's been at school, his first term, and how it was going, and he's having a bit of a tough time. So I was asking him how it's going. Why is it difficult? Is it because of the teachers? Is it because of the classes? Is it, is it, is it difficult? What's going on? And he said, Aaron, you wouldn't understand. It's politics. It's just politics, you know? And I was like, are you studying politics? Is that one of your classes? Said, no, no, it's, it's playground politics. It's politics you wouldn't understand. But it got me thinking... Remembering back, and some of you have got to remember back further than others of you, but, but high school was vicious when you think about it. I mean, it was. I don't know what it was like for you, but in my experience, it was vicious. It was people kind of gang, gang up in these packs, don't they? So you've got the sporty ones, and you've got the popular and the cool ones, and you've got maybe the skaters who all hang out together, or there's the emos or the goths, and there's the hard crew. You didn't want to mess with the hard crew. But everybody... And you'll be the same. Don't lie to yourself. Everybody wanted to be in the popular crew. You know it. You wanted to be cool. You wanted to be there with the guy. You wanted to be cool. And, 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 and so did I, obviously. Um, I wanted to be in with a cool crowd. And it's really difficult at high school because it's kind of like the culmination of these two things. You're, you're forming your identity. You don't really know who you are yet. You're trying to figure it out. And on the other side of things, you're desperate to belong. You're desperate to find other people. You're desperate that you not be left out. And it's the kind of the clashing together of these two things that makes high school so difficult. And I was desperate to be cool. And believe it or not, you probably won't believe it. I haven't always been as cool as I am now. (laughs) Not always. So, so I wanted to be in the popular group, and I was, I was, it was literally, I it was so sad now. I remember th- sort of thinking, I'm, I'm getting there, I'm, I'm getting there, some of my friends are quite cool now. And then I would do something hideously embarrassing or awkward, and completely relegate myself. So, I wonder by show of hands, how many of you ever, have, have ever called the teacher, Mum? <laughs> yeah, quite a lot, amazing actually, quite a lot of us. Yeah, we weren't cool for that, were we? You'd think I'm getting there. I'm, I'm cool. People, I'm going to be popular. And then you'd say, um, "Mom, oh, what have I done?" Or, um, or I, I, I think basically, when I was about fifteen or sixteen, I grew about a foot in height, and my brain didn't realise it yet. So I had what I think is probably undiagnosed, kind of just. I just, I just sort of would walk, gangly would probably be the term you'd use for it. But I would be walking past a group of girls, casually, you know. I'm cool, I'm, I'm going to be popular, and for no apparent reason would fall over my own legs. That would just happen to me. And it was so embarrassing. And high school is hard. And we think, well, you know, childish. It's quite funny, isn't it, thinking back. I don't know what you were like at school, but we think that's childish. We've outgrown all that. We're no longer labeled or named in the same ways we were at school, are we? Well, it's my contention that that we still are. We maybe haven't outgrown it as much as we'd like to think. Because you may no longer be, like me, the awkward kid with the BMX. But maybe now you're defined as the business exec with a BMW. We're still labeled. We're still named, we're still identified by those things, aren't we? They've just changed a little bit. It's like the playground just got bigger and more diverse. It's almost as if our identity, our, our self-worth, the measure of our lives is about keeping all these different plates spinning. So if, if, we, can, if we can maintain our social position, if we can maintain our, our material wealth or our, our education, or our personal achievement, well then we're alright. You know, on, on the good days, when, when we're feeling successful, or funny, or, or wealthy, or content, well those are the good days. But if we drop any of those plates, well that's when things go bad. And it's exhausting, honestly, it's exhausting. Trying to keep up, trying to strive, trying to earn your identity, your reputation. We see the consequence, don't we, of a world fighting for identity. You only have to watch one episode of The Apprentice to see it worked out. Cutthroat mentality. You know, knife someone in the back to get ahead. That's what, that's what pride is. Pride is not being clever or funny or strong. It's being cleverer, it's being funnier, it's being stronger. It's comparison. That's what pride is. It's, it's saying, I'm one better than. If I can just push them down and raise myself up. And it comes out of this identity crisis. And we end up bound. Labelled by others. Swept up in trying to climb the right ladders. Whether we know it or not. And yet, like all good Sunday school children, we know the answer is Jesus, right? That's always the answer. We know the answer is Jesus. But we're not really on this one sure how. Because the danger is that Jesus or Christian faith or, or going to church just becomes another plate that we have to keep spinning, just another thing in our busy lives that we have to keep moving, that we have to keep up in the air to keep up appearances, another thing that perhaps is part of our identity but isn't the defining mark of our identity, and I think the issue is this, we, we understand that God offers us forgiveness, that's really significant, Absolutely. Jesus died for you and for me so that we could be made right with God. But we fail to move beyond this into the new life that opens up to us. Jesus gives us access to God, He makes a way for us. He calls Himself the way. I am the way. And then we get there, and we, it's almost like we build a prison around ourselves once we've arrived. You know, I think Carl said it before. The cross of Jesus is not the destination, it's the embarkation point for the rest of your life. Does that make sense? The cross frees you up for life with God. Jesus is the way to life. It's almost like we're stood facing the cross. And we never see the resurrection and the power and the life and all the things that God was called us into because of Jesus. So what are we missing? Well, let's read together. We're going to read from Romans chapter 8. I'm going to have a look at this. I'm just going to read a few verses and then just go through them and see what they have to say to us. Romans 8 and we're going to read verses 14 to 17. It says this, because those who are led by the Spirit, Spirit of God, are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the Spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory see I think the missing piece I think the reason for our identity crisis is that we don't know God as father and Jesus said it didn't he I am the way it's an exclusive claim I am the way no one comes to the Father except through me. And we love Jesus, we get Jesus, but then we never get to the Father. And he said, that's, that's, that's what I'm the way to, to know God. Just like back in Eden, just like at the very beginning, before all this thing got messed up, that you might have that relationship with the Father. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God sends him, and Jesus delivers us back to the Father. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Sometimes we grasp, you know, and we've been around church, we've heard this idea, we know about forgiveness, and yet we can really struggle with the idea of adoption. What about the idea that God loves you right now like a father loves a son or a daughter? That's a, bit, that's a, bit, a little bit more difficult, isn't it, for us to get our heads around And yet they happen simultaneously. We're forgiven and we are adopted. Jesus, who lived the most remarkable life of all, shows us what this looks like. He prayed, Abba, Father. He's praying to his dad. He defines himself as the son in relation to the father. At Jesus' baptism, the heavens opened and the voice spoke down from heaven, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Jesus shows us what it looks like to live in this world as a child of God. To relate to God as father, as dad. And and I said it before, you can have spent years in church and have heard all about forgiveness. And have got forgiveness and yet not have understood that you are adopted and that God loves you as father. See, if you're here tonight and you're a Christian then God is not simply your creator. He is your father. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, well then through Jesus, you can know God as father tonight. Through Jesus. Because he gives us access through what he did on the cross. Think of the way, for a moment with me, think of the way that a parent loves a child. This is dangerous ground for me, because the last time I spoke and and preached in this room, I talked about weddings, and since then I've got engaged, and now I'm talking about babies, so (laughs) just need to be careful what I say. But babies are amazing. Parents feel so much love and affection for babies. Why? How many plates are babies spinning? None. What are they doing, honestly? They haven't even had a conversation, have they? They can't do anything for you. How do children measure up? And it's interesting because parents don't love the future version of their children. Do they? No. They love them as they are. They love them as their children now. Jesus didn't come... I'm pretty sure of this Jesus didn't come so that you and God Could maintain a respectful distance I don't think that's what he came for I think he came that you might know God as Father So the root The root of our identity crisis Is our inability to know God as Father And I've, I've lived it I know what it looks like to have an identity crisis In my life If I'm not a son well Then, then I'm an orphan aren't I And I can live like an orphan. I can live like I don't have a father. I can live like I don't know God as father. It it doesn't look pretty. I wonder if you identify with any of these things. When I know I'm living like an orphan, it shows itself in a number of ways. One of the ways it happens is, is is my independence. It becomes about me and finding my identity inside of myself or what I can do. My competency becomes the main thing which makes me incredibly uncomfortable with vulnerability because i want to control i want to cover up i want to defend not i don't want to expose any part of myself which could be open to criticism incredibly insecure and my response to sin as an orphan is to hold God at arm's length i've done something bad i feel guilty and ashamed sorry god Or I feel like I'm spending more time doing things for God Than being with God My relationship with God becomes in fact conditional On any given day, in any given moment On how worthy I feel to approach Him So if I've not not sinned very much that day Then I feel good about myself and I can approach God We can chat But, But not if I've had a pretty bad week or a pretty bad day and, and it's nonsense, because this is the trap that I fall into. I fall into the trap of thinking that a better version of me is going to solve all my problems. Have you ever fallen into thinking something like that? If I could just change this about myself, that would solve all my problems. Or, or other people, if I could just be friends with that, those people, if I could just be in the popular crew, then that would validate me, that would satisfy me, Surely. Or maybe the world is going to satisfy me. What the world offers, that will bring satisfaction. Or if I can, this is the saddest one of all. If I can just tilt some imaginary religious scales in my favor. If I can just be slightly holier than those other people. If I can just pray a little bit more or I can earn something. Well then, then I'll, then I'll be complete. We read in, in Romans 8 that, that this is the slavery and the fear. That our adoption... To sonship and daughtership would release us from. This, this, being children of God, is the fix for our identity crisis. Verse 15, free to live in the new identity as children of God, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So, So how might it be different? Say we're going to kind of wash the slate clean. We're going to knock all those kind of plate spinning things over we're going to say it's not about those things anymore it's not about what I can achieve it's not about who I you know it's none of those things I don't have to be competent I don't have to perform I don't have to earn I don't have to strive it's going to be about God what does that actually look like to know ourselves first and foremost as children of God for me it looks like this I will and I know I will at times be tempted to try and find my identity inside of myself if I can just improve this or if I can just be better at that but because I've been given a new spirit we read it in the passage a new heart I can see what I'm doing and I can throw myself back on the mercies of God I can do that because I'm a son there are times even now where I want to be validated by other people I get the fear of missing out FOMO many of you will know it If I could just have that experience, if I could just be with those people, if I was just at that event, then I'd be happy, at least until the next thing comes around. But because I'm a son, I can spot it. I can spot that. And I can turn to him as father. And at times, at times even now, I'll be drawn to religious activity to try and earn affection that's already mine. And the Holy, Holy Spirit reminds me that there's a better way. Absolutely. I'm not a slave to that anymore. I don't have to fall back into fear. First and foremost, I'm God's son. I'm a co-heir with Christ. How, how do we do that? How do we position ourselves as God's children? I think, firstly, we believe what God said he would do, he has done through Jesus. That's step one. We recognize that Jesus has given us access, that the cross means something, that we can know God. And the second thing is is really interesting. We read it in verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's almost like we can't quite get our heads around it ourselves, that we could be children of God, that we could be adopted. So the Holy Spirit actually testifies to our spirit that it's true. It's like the Holy Spirit there to remind us and go, no, no, it is. Honestly, honestly, you are children of God. You are a son. You are a daughter. And when we forget, it's the Spirit that reminds us. I think the Spirit does this in two ways. The first is that the Spirit leads us in obedience to God. In other words, we don't just tack God on as an added extra to our already busy lives. We make him Lord. We learn to obey our Father. The Spirit leads us in learning to hear and obey. Because you see, it's it's difficult to know God as Father if we don't follow the Spirit's leading in obedience. And He's desperate to reveal to us our true identity in God. And the second way the Spirit leads us is in intimacy with the Father. The Spirit kind of creates this hunger in us intimacy with the father points us back to God as father and again it's it's difficult to know God as father unless we pursue intimacy with him by the spirits leading When when you add these two things together when you add together obedience to the father and intimacy with the father you get this thing called pursuit we pursue God we chase after him we follow him, we look to walk with him as children would walk with a father. And we're all moving at a different pace. Some of us maybe are crawling. It's first, first kind of movements forward in this pursuit. Some of us are hobbling maybe. Battle worn. We're limping along but we're getting there. And some of us are running. Going for it with everything we've got. Pursuing him in obedience and intimacy. I remember once my my gran came to watch me in an athletics competition. I was running in the 800 meters. As I said, gangly teenager, made for a great middle distance runner. Not so popular with the girls, but great at running. Um, and I was doing this athletics competition, and I, I, I think I, I don't I, I definitely didn't win. I can't remember where I finished, but I ran and I thought I done okay, but I was maybe a little bit disappointed and I crossed the finish line and I approached where my family were and my gran was in floods of tears. She was weeping and I, I, the, the thought crossed my mind that she was crying because I hadn't won. <laughs> Can you imagine if that's been, that had been the case? Weeping, he's a loser. <laughs> that's not what was happening. She was crying because she was so proud of me because she'd come and she'd seen me run. I was actually embarrassed you would be wouldn't you if it was your gran but she was delighting in me she was absolutely delighting in me you know that God delights in you just as you are right now through Jesus not a better version of you 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 can see now why the spirit has to help us because it's really difficult to get our heads around Think of it this way. Nobody watches their, their infant child take three steps and fall over and call them an idiot. Can you imagine? Well, the kid next door took four steps, so come on. They, they don't do that, do they? They cheer their child on as they learn to take steps. As it is with God. He celebrates us, whether we're walking or crawling or running. As we learn to pursue Him in obedience and intimacy. And it changes everything, honestly. Because I'm no longer a slave to any of those things. It's done. I'm not a slave anymore. I don't have to fall back into fear. I'm free. Free from having to earn my identity. Do you know, I said this this morning as well, but I know that I could stop right now I could take off this microphone thing and I could just push off my notes and I could just walk straight out that door, down the steps, out. And, and God would approve of me no less. Some of you might. Oh, I thought he was going to wrap it up. He just, that was dramatic. But God would approve of me no less. I, I've already got his approval. Absolutely. Verse 17 says this. Now, if we are children of God, then we are heirs of God and co heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. It's getting really good now. We get an inheritance. Our inheritance is this we get God. Shocker. That's that's what we get. That's our inheritance. We get God. And so, as we read that final verse, as you read it behind me, it doesn't promise that everything is going to be easy. We can expect that, that we're going to share in Christ's sufferings in order that we also share in his glory. But we get God, and get this we get God, and he is sufficient for us regardless of our circumstance, for life, for eternity. We get God. If you get the whole world but don't get God, then you've been robbed. We get God. That's our inheritance. Co-heirs with Christ that we might know him as father, as dad. See, more than you need a great marriage, more than you need success at work, more than you need the validation of other people, I think you need God and, and through Jesus we get a relationally perfect father see God as father is not the reflection of dysfunctional earthly fatherhood he's not he is the perfection of divine fatherhood which means that, that God the father loves us unconditionally unconditionally He is completely dependable. And He is absolutely competent. He's God, and we can know Him as Father. See, I think the missing piece, I think the reason for our identity crisis is that we don't know God as Father. And you know He's desperate to know us, desperate. So desperate that He would send Jesus his son, into this world for you and for me to take a cross, to choose that path, to make a way that we might once again know relationship with the father. The wrath that should have come to us was absorbed in him so that when God looks on us through Jesus, he doesn't see our imperfections, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. Jesus has won it for us the Spirit is leading us and the Father is just desperate to shower us with his love and approval. He's a good dad. I think I've talked enough. Let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and we pray that you would do what this passage tells us you will do. Will you testify to our spirits that we are, in fact, children of God? Will you introduce us to God as father, as dad? Were we identified, perhaps, with some of the thinking around orphan spirit, fatherless thinking, identity crisis, we pray, God, that you would come and that you would restore to us the identity you have for us. And where faith, for some of us, has become another plate to spin, we pray, Spirit, that you would gently and in your way remove all else but pursuing the Father. And we pray, Spirit, that you would, you would introduce us to the love of the Father. Father God, we're desperate to experience your love here. Where we've maybe never felt the touch of that before, we pray that we would know it tonight. And where we forget, where we begin to become independent, self-reliant, we pray, God, that we would throw ourselves again on your mercy, on your fatherhood. And Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that you made a way for us to know the Father. Thank you that you won it for us, this freedom, this life, this new life, this adoption in God. And so we worship you. Amen.